A few months ago, when Toto announced a musician who would be filling the shoes of David Hungate and Mike Porcaro, we knew that it would raise a lot of curiosity amongst the band's loyal fans when they heard the name Shem Von Schreck. The truth of the matter is that we've known about Shem for quite some time. In fact, we interviewed him nearly a decade ago and discovered just how multi-talented he really is. Shem is not only a bassist, but a drummer, keyboardist, arranger, producer, operatic vocalist, author, recording engineer, video editor, and diehard Trekkie. Toto fans who have witnessed one of his early performances with the band surely have a solid understanding of why Shem is a perfect fit to fill the coveted position of bass guitar and backing vocalist for the foreseeable future. He's not only a perfect fit as a musician, but he has the humble, welcoming style of personality that embodies the spirit of his bandmates. Inside MusicCast is pleased to welcome back Shem Von Schreck. Hey, Shem, thanks for joining us again. Welcome. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Right. Great to be with you again. Well, I, I can't believe it, but it's it's been almost 10 years since we last had you on the show, so welcome back. I, 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 I can't believe it's been that long. And, Incredible. Uh, you know, we got a lot to catch up on, and in fact, Eddie and I... Uh, we kind of feel partially responsible that you have this great new gig with, with Toto. We do, we do. And, and the reason being is that 10 years ago, when we first interviewed you, we actually recorded a quick chat with Steve Lukather right before your interview. Of course. So when we finished up our chat with Luke, we told him we had to go because we had another interview. And of course, he asked who, who we had up next. And uh, when we told him, we, we said to Shem Von Schreck, his, his response was classic. And uh, basically what he said was, what the fuck's a Shem? <laughs> And he would, and it's and that's just a, like just an earnest, legitimate question. So anyway, <laughs> it was great, and and it's we've been carrying that little story for all this time, and we thought we'd never get to actually share it with the you. I, so. The irony is amazing, <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. That's right. So that's classic him. That's great. So when we found out that you know you'd been tapped for the 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 base gig, you know, for Toto, um, I had to. When I wrote Luke back, I, I had to share that story with him, and he remembered. <laughs> Does he remember that? <laughs> <laughs> so, in any case, well, but, no. but in any case, we're glad. Uh, we're so glad. Uh, you know, you connected with with Luke and the band, and, and we'll talk. Uh, you know, more about that here shortly. So. We'll talk commission later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Post interview. Yeah, exactly. So, being that it's been ten years, you know, it, tell us in, in thirty seconds. Tell us everything that you've been working on over the past decade. Ready? Go. Go. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I think right when I was talking to you guys. I I was uh, getting into the opera thing, right. and um, I went over to Germany, actually, and sang, and sang in opera houses over there, and mm -hmm. had a great run, and enjoyed myself immensely. Uh -huh. um, the, the thing was, you don't make a lot of money doing what I was doing. Yeah. Um, the, the artistic reward is is amazing, and mm -hmm. uh, I'll, I'll never forget that, but, you know, the theaters basically own you, and you are, you have to, you don't know your schedule until 36 hours later, posted oh. For the following day, yeah. So it's you're you're kind of trapped into that thing. But I was with a great company, and uh, we did a lot of great performances and productions. And it's it's a rewarding thing. It's now spun into uh, I do a lot of symphony performing around the country and in, in Canada as well, singing mm -hmm. as a tenor soloist with symphony orchestras. That's great. Uh, that's been great. And so th that whole journey turned into some great great blessings and. Uh, I still, when I came back and, and Loggins heard I was back from Germany, I, I went back to work with him and uh, Don Felder, and I've been with them ever since, and just basically been doing those three things, symphony shows, Loggins and Felder, cool. yeah. and then uh, Toto called. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. We'll get to that in just a little bit now. 
Well, yeah. you know, in, in a few years ago, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but you and uh, Steve, uh, De, is it Destanzalo? Destanislaw. Destanislaw. And you guys released a, a three-song EP under the, the name The Apex. And, you know, what stands out to me when I was listening to that project are the incredible vocal harmonies, you know, not to mention, mm-hmm. you know, the, kind of a, a gritty rock groove that you guys lay down. And, and uh, tell us more about your connection with Steve and how that project all came together. Yeah. I, going, if we go all the way back, mm-hmm. Steve and I did a gig together in L.A. in 1992 and fell in love with each other's playing. Just we, we bonded just like looking at each other like, where have you been all my life kind of thing. And mm-hmm. then didn't see each other for 14 years. Wow. Oh, <laughs> He uh, auditioned for the Loggins and Messina reunion tour back in 2005. Okay. And we hit it off like, oh, there you are. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we just re- realized that our, our musical tastes and our roots were very similar. We started writing songs together, and uh, before we knew it, we said, let's, let's just record some of these ideas that are in our head. And between my studio in Phoenix and his home studio in, in Southern California, we, we just started writing, putting tracks together, and finished three songs. And it's an ongoing project. We're going to continue to write more material and release them as, as they come. It's, it's, it's a labor of love. It's not really anything we're trying to do, you know, to conquer the world with, but it's it's just fun creative stuff and yeah. we're, we're proud of we're proud of it right yeah. are you playing the lead guitars on that uh, on the parts on everything or did you bring somebody in no that's all that's just the two of us oh, I'm on okay. guitars bass and lead vocals and then Steve sang one of the lead vocals he sang the spin mm-hmm. okay on that one but uh, yeah it's all our stuff we do it all all ourselves that's great well I highly recommend uh you know, our listeners to pick that up. And I think you can still get it at, at CD Baby. I think it's still available it's there. CD Baby and iTunes, either one. Oh, okay. All right. Great. Yeah. Right, something else I learned about you, and that's being that you're a Trekkie. And that's something I didn't know <laughs> about you 10 years ago. And it's, uh, you're, you're sort of a, a Trekkie purist in that you really prefer the original Star Trek series. And a, about a year ago, I saw this thing on Vimeo where you released a, uh, a little video where you spent nearly an hour breaking down you know, many of the music themes in, in the Star Trek series with, with a focus on one particular episode, one titled The Doomsday Machine. Ex- explain all of this and the significance of this specific episode's score and, and, you know, this whole venture of you being the Trekkie that you are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, yeah, the original series just touched me as a kid and uh-huh. I just watch it every afternoon in reruns. And every time I w- would, the series would, would roll through every season and every year they'd run the same episodes the Doomsday Machine was my favorite. That's just the one that reached me the most. And, and yeah. getting older and analyzing it and just looking at all of, you know, when you can watch it on demand and you can watch it over and over again, it yeah. just had so many little, little things that made that episode special. It's why I liked it as a kid and why yeah. I discovered later so many fans do as well. I wanted to do a little tribute to the little tip of the hat to it and put a little, maybe just a 10-minute 10, 10 featurette about my love for it and why it's great. And then I just, I, I contacted the the writer of the episode, Norman Spinrad, uh-huh. and he agreed to do an interview. So that legitimized the project. Yeah, so cool. people have probably seen the, the little half-hour uh, mini-documentary on that episode. And I always wanted to spend more time on the music because I thought always thought that Saul Kaplan's score was brilliant. Yeah, Saul, Saul Kaplan only did two episodes in the original series, and Jim's Day Machine is just a standout uh, musical score. So I always wanted to do that. So I... The, the film you're referring to, the, yeah. the analysis of the score. Right. I just wanted to show how he worked the different themes that he created and the leitmotifs he created for right. objects, the characters, very Wagnerian. 
Wagnerian yep. uh, approach. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to highlight that because people love the music, but I wanted to explain to them maybe why they're loving the music so much because it's such storytelling in the music. You almost don't need the, the dialogue to follow along if you know what the themes are. Right. Yeah, and, that's true. Uh, and so it, it, it's a, another labor of love, something that was special to me that I wanted to share why it's special to me. And and people have enjoyed it. And they, they, the idea is you'll never watch the episode again <laughs> without appreciating, you know, you're watching in a different way now that you've, you can discover more about the music. That's right. And we'll, we'll, uh, we'll post a link to that up on our Facebook page we so will. people that's, can check that out. Because it's really, it's pretty fascinating. I watched the whole thing a couple of days ago. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. I yeah. love filmmaking. I love editing. And it's one of yeah. my favorite things to do. And when I get a a project in mind, I'm like, ooh, I get to carve up something here. I get to, <laughs> you know, get get in the surgical room in the editing room. I, lo- yeah. I love doing it. It's cool. a lot of fun. Well, hey, not only, you know, do you play bass, piano, drums, you, you know, you obviously, we talked about opera, you like, and you just mentioned you edit video, you've, you engineer audio sessions, but, but you're also an author. And uh, back in 2011, you released a, a fictional novel, a thriller titled Ghosts of the Fathers. And uh, writing a novel is, you know, that's, that's a time-consuming task Absolutely. that I assume would require not just the time itself, but, you know, stretches of uninterrupted time so that, you know, you can focus on the story without, you know, distraction. And where did you find this time and how disciplined did you have to be in order to complete a novel? Guys, I'm telling you, it is, it is the most colossal epic <laughs> undertaking yeah. that anyone can do. I stand in awe of these writers that just spit these books out yeah. because mm-hmm. it's it's ongoing. I, actually, just, just to correct something you said earlier, the, it hasn't been released. It's it, it's going to be. Oh, okay. Um, I, right. the, the, stories, the, the, the story was written and, and fully fully realized in, in 2011, but uh-huh. I'm still working on the, on the drafts right now. Uh, it's, there's just so many ways to tell a story. There's so right. many ways to say the same exact thing and yeah. then you find your voice, find your style. So your question was about finding the time to do so. Yeah. You know, we, as musicians and on the road, we spend a lot of time in our hotel rooms, True. you know, sound check yeah. usually is until the afternoon. So mm-hmm. we discipline ourselves and make the time, get up early, get a good workout in and, and hit the computer and start working in the isolation of the hotel room. You can find that time. And plus at home, you know, there's days where you're inspired. There's days you'll write, two sentences and say, yeah, this stinks. And then there's some days you'll write three pages and just be on a roll. It just yeah. depends on where you are that day. You don't wake yeah. up that day, today I will be brilliant. <laughs> you know? Right. You know, you just, it just happens, you know. I always think about, you know, those, those, those classic, you know, writers who would just, you know, take themselves away from everything and put themselves in a cabin in a woods in front of a lake, you know, and just, you know, spend months writing. I, I, I personally, if I had to sit down and write something, you know, I, I don't think I could do it in sections like that. If I was focusing on, you know, being on tour with Toto or Kenny Loggins or something, and I've got my music in front of me, I don't know if I could sit down for a couple hours in a hotel and write. So you, you must be really good at multitasking <laughs> and keeping keeping the ideas fresh, you know, and separate from your music. You kind of have to be. It's funny. I, when I was in the real heart of the project, um, I would be on stage during a Kenny Loggins gig, and in my head, I'm going, I'm not really sure I'm <laughs> digging this chapter yeah. right now. I'm, I think I'm going to have to, tomorrow, I'm going to have to rewrite that in the middle of playing If You Believe <laughs> with Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> I would literally be occupied with the, with the story and the writing and everything. But yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a massive, massive undertaking, and I, I, I can't say enough about it. Yeah, well, but, we wish you luck with that. You have to keep us posted on no that. Doubt. Yeah. Thank you. 
Thank you. No doubt. You know, uh, Sham, prior to taking the gig with, with Toto, and we spoke about this just a few minutes ago about uh, you, you being with Kenny and, of course, with Don Felder. Talk to us a little bit about, uh, honestly, this maybe the past year before hopping on with Toto. Uh, was your time a little more saturated with, with Don or Kenny, or was it pretty much balanced with both? How did, uh, how did that go in the past couple of years? It was pretty balanced. Um, Kenny's been performing less, and Don's been performing more. Um, when I first started working with Don, Kenny was doing serious tours. We were doing at least a, a long summer tour and, you know, he was, he was pulling in 60, 70, sometimes 80 shows a year. Oh. Um, when Don was working, you know, he's just kind of starting out and solo, solo artist building his brand. Yeah. And 10 years later, it's kind of gone, both have gone in the opposite directions. Kenny's working a little less. He's, he's. Um, didn't like, for example, this year, he didn't do an extensive tour. He didn't do an, an actual tour at all. And here's Don right now. Um, those guys are out there without me this year. Um, he's with sticks again and Ario Speedwagon doing a triple bill. And I hear it's going very, very well for them. Very cool. Very good. That's right. I think he was just here. He was just he here, was here in Indianapolis. Uh, uh, Don Felder, that is that tour came through here. So, yeah. Well, hey, Shem, before we dive into a lot of chat about Toto, we do want to take a break because uh, a moment ago you spoke about the Apex, and I have one track from that EP that we want to play, and it's a track called Faith to Die. And this is from Shem Von Schreck, our guest today on Inside Music Cast. See you. 
Well, hey, um, let's talk Toto. Yes. And, and, and I, we've got a lot of listeners, obviously, of Inside Music Cast who really dig Toto. So some of our questions, actually quite a few, are going to be, um, are, uh, they were generated by listeners. We, we popped a message mm-hmm. up on Facebook yesterday and had a really nice response. So, um, But in, in any case, inquiring minds and Toto fans everywhere would love to know, you know, just how this gig came about. And my guess is that it had a, had a lot to do with uh, maybe a, a past connection with Steve Picaro. Is that correct? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I've known Steve since, I guess, 1992. Um, I used to play in a police tribute band where I was. I did the sting parts. I remember uh, that, yeah. Yeah, and we called it Cops, and it was with yeah. Tim Edmondson and John DeFaria. And Steve used to come see that all the time. He'd come out all the time and see that with, yeah. with, his, with Mike Sherwood and yeah. – and, uh, and just just got to know him. I, I would go to the manor sometimes, which was David Page's studio, and, and write with Steve, and just kept in touch over the years. Mm-hmm. And and it really, when when Lee Scalara was was going to leave and do the Phil Collins gig, yeah, I got a call from Steve, and he said, "Man, are you interested in this? Because I I think it's going to happen. What we're what we're looking at is making the the bass chair for Toto now a required singing chair." Okay. Where that position has to sing all the high harmonies, all the you know original harmonies that Bobby Kimball sang in um, on the original records. That's those are the parts now, and it's going to be part of the bass position. And I said, "Oh, are you kidding? I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to audition and everything." So, and unfortunately, the day he called me, I was headed to Hong Kong and uh-huh. Asia for for two weeks i'm thinking are you kidding me this is the time that they're going to be looking at bass players and i'm not gonna i'm gonna be out of the country oh, gotta no. be kidding me <laughs> but it all worked out uh we met at steve's studio and just plugged in and jammed and um they offered me the gig on the spot and said we'll see you in six months because wow. <laughs> that's when the tour was starting. so i remember driving home to to, to to phoenix just driving you know looking down that that long highway trail going what the heck just happened i can't <laughs> Like I can't believe this. So I was just thrilled and just just honored that they'd given me the opportunity and and uh, have the faith in me that that from from that audition that they'd heard enough to to make the commitment. Yeah, just a great honor. I'm thrilled. And I still think it has a lot to do with our interview ten years ago. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> but the bleep is a sham. Yeah. Well, just out of curiosity, I didn't even think about this until just now because you just said they offered it to you on the spot. But do you know, or do you have any any uh, knowledge to as to if they inter, or, yeah, uh, auditioned else? anybody else? Yeah. No, they did not. Wow. They they. Um, yeah, it's been it's been told to me later that. They really respect and trust Steve's opinion. Yeah. And if he was going to bring somebody, I mean, you got to think about this. Yeah. And this is again a, a huge honor for me. He's going to bring in somebody that's going to replace or or not replace. Yeah. But fill the shoes of his brother Mike. Right. 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 He's not going to bring somebody in. He he's not sure about. He's going to be pretty confident. That's so true. It, Joseph's the one that basically said, you know. We, we trusted him that if he was going to make this recommendation, he's not going to make a recommendation lightly. So I think going into the audition, they were mm-hmm. – they, they had good feelings about it. And yeah. I think he'd shared some of my material. I think he'd shared some of the Son of Arthur stuff and yeah. some of the Apex stuff. And so they – it was pretty informal, the audition. It was just a jam, really, jamming on a couple of tunes, singing just acoustically in the room to see if the vocal blend was going to be right. So, but to my knowledge, I don't. They did not audition anybody else. So yeah, Luke. Luke told me that um, 
when he brought when you guys came in, or when he brought you in, or when they brought you in, uh, they had you play uh, to Jeff Percaro's drum track on Rosanna. Had you sing, and, and they loved it. And and it, and I was my question was was it that simple? But it sounds like it was. But how hard did you prepare for the audition? Did you did you really go through a lot of the material? And and I mean, did you know Jake to the bone and some of the more complicated stuff, or or did you just? Uh, <laughs> I actually did know Jake to the bone, and I listened to it again just going in. I said, if they pull that one out, I want to be ready for that. <laughs> Way to go. Yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, it was Rosanna, Africa, um, and they wanted to hear Great Expectations yeah. um, off Toto 14. They wanted to, you know, they wanted to know I could play in the polyrhythmic thing, and, and mm -hmm. you know, and they asked me, I remember them asking me in the audition, you know, how did you, know, how'd you learn how to play that's, you know, strange rhythms and that sort of thing. I said, I grew up listening to Yes, and Joseph goes, good answer. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee whiz. Hey, you've... Yeah, but it, I just wanted to say one thing. You mentioned Jeff Picaro's uh, original drum tracks. That was surreal. Listening to Jeff's original tracks to Africa and Rosanna, just up on the board with, with, the, with the tracks isolated. And, I'm, and, and Jeff was my audition drummer. That day, that was that was pretty great. <laughs> that's cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Wow, that's really neat. You know, uh, um, you've played with Lagensfelder and Christopher Cross and, and even Ambrosia, just to name a few. Um, but looking at the Toto gig, Shem, you know, what's different here? What's is it more challenging? Describe this compared. Put this template over the others. I mean, I mean, I know they're different, but how is it different? Uh, the obvious. Um, on the surface comparison is that it's a band. It's not a solo artist yeah. where there's one guy driving the, the creative, you know, the, the music, central music. Mm -hmm. This is a band. Uh, in this case, it's four central guys. We call them the core four members. Right. And so you're, you're dealing with four guys as opposed to just one artist. That's one difference, and I'm, I'm very much enjoying that. And I'm enjoying it because they're such great guys yeah, and yeah. such great musicians. And on a personal level, they've welcomed me in very warmingly and lovingly. So I'm fortunate for that. They hear everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, David Page's musical Antennae is panoramic. <laughs> he hears everything going on, and if it's and if it's he, he's still. That's what I love about him. He's still searching for excellence in this music. Yeah, you know, they, it's not like ah, we'll just play the songs. Yeah. Forty years later, he's still. We make the joke that Dave's still mixing the first album in his head. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. But I, but I love that. See, that's that's why it's it's just such. I'm so blessed to be doing this because, you know, I wanted to make music so that I would get better at it and better at it as I went on. There's no complacency. And these guys, they don't, they're not complacent. They want their music to be yeah. as, as good as it was and even better today. And I don't know if I'm answering your question, but that it's – I'm having the time of my life. Just got to say it. Yeah, you it's did. Really, Wonderful experience. The comment you made about Page, how he's still mixing the first album in his head. Eddie and I did an interview with David Page probably – might have been three or four years ago, and we need to get him back on again because uh, it was kind of a popular episode where we we didn't interview him. Per, well, we interviewed him, but it wasn't about him per se. It was about the album Toto Four, and we, we took it, it we took it track by track. Right. And some of the things that you know he he mentioned to us during that interview were just you know things I you know I'm a fan and I've studied all this stuff and I didn't you know there's a lot of the little tidbits that he was mentioning about you know each track. It was yeah. really pretty fascinating. It was the the nuances that were like. 
Oh, really? We never noticed that. <laughs> of course, you know, I mean, obviously it's his music and he's right. the one. But but it was still, you know, being, you know, sometimes fans think they know more than the band does. But, yeah. but anyway, it was pretty pretty fascinating to hear his perspective on all of that. Yeah. We have we have had some incredible conversations. In fact, that that's all Dave and I do on the bus is uh-huh. talk about arranging and orchestration because <laughs> his dad, Marty Page, is an right. orchestrator, composer. My dad, Artie Shrek, is an arranger and orchestrator. You know, on, my dad was the East Coast version of of marty on the right. on the west coast and we, so we, all we do is talk film soundtracks and and symphonies and that's all we do that's that's our that's our classic nighttime bus conversation yeah. I, mean, I mean even with steve procaro i mean that's that's what he does you know yeah, he does exactly. soundtrack i mean what's what's the the big huge tv series that he did um justified justified, justified. my god yeah it's amazing tracks that he does yeah for that and i'm like uh, you're right. You're, you're swimming in a pool of more than a band here. This thing is a lot bigger than it seems. You know, it's a, it's really it's really special. Yeah, I, I can't I can't. It's I'm still pinching myself. <laughs> yeah, I really am. Yeah, hey, grateful step, every day. Stepping into this gig, you know, we would imagine that it's uh, it's it's the most important aspect for your part of the gig is to connect with Shannon, uh, Shannon Forrest. So we're assuming that this connection gets um, gets really strong, you know, gig after gig, right? But tell us your thoughts on performing with Shannon. How was that that connection and, uh, you know, and what what do you appreciate about his he's playing because he's a very detailed person also? Shannon is world class oh, yeah. in, in every way. And his approach to, to music you know, he's just—he's not just a drummer, and you can when he's playing drums, you can tell he's not just a drummer. He's yeah. a complete musician. Um, he's solid. He's a very cerebral human being. You know, he's don't don't let the North Carolina accent fool you. <laughs> right? Okay, he he is sharp, and you know, if every as as great as as a musician is, you have to adjust to their their thing, and he's he's playing these this music so close to what Jeff did in yes. my opinion. Yes. Um his his even the sound of his drums. Yes. It really it's really special. So I I I absorbed him. I, I really went to what he did. I, I didn't come in like, hey, this is where I'm gonna put it. It was I just I just loved absorbing how he approached everything and I just wanted to fit into that thing. And we're what two months into the tour now, and I, I think it's it's really gelling, and I'm um, I'm really fortunate to play with a guy who's just so deep and and so so caring about this music. He, he owns it. He yeah. just owns yeah. it. He yeah. really does. You know, I've I've always thought that, you know, the the core four of the of the band, and of course the support musicians like yourself and Shannon that are that are part of the Toto. I've always thought all along for longest time that Toto attracts. A very, how should I say, sophisticated player. You know, it's uh, it, it's more than, and I don't mean that downgrading any other bands, but Toto has that ability to bring in the best of the best with a certain style and sophistication that 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 the Toto music really requires. Would you agree with that or not? Yeah, I absolutely would. I, I, my household that I grew up in, my dad being a session musician, I approached music as that was the pinnacle. You wanted to be that type of musician that could walk into a studio, not know what the music's going to be, and nail it on the first take just yeah. from reading a chart. And I, and I wanted to become that. So mm-hmm. knowing that these guys were had redefined the session musician for the ages mm-hmm. yeah. back in those days, and you know, reading their names on every album and all the credits that they have the thousands and thousands of of credits in their discography i 
you aspire to be that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, ab- absolutely. So I, it does the music that they write. He, Page even says this on stage when he sets up great expectations mm-hmm. is that, you know, he loves to write this kind of stuff because he's has, he has the musicians in place to play it. So if you if you got the musicians in place yeah. to play that kind of music, you're going to write sophisticated things and challenge yourself as a composer because you got the players to play it. Yeah. Yep. And, and the possibilities are endless. So I, that it, it works both ways. They they attract that kind of musician, but they also write that kind of stuff that that, that those kind of musicians can play. It's yep. a great. Yeah. Well great said. Cycle. Well said. Yeah. So speaking of Shannon, though. Um, I had a chat with him. You know, I missed you in Chicago, Shem. I was there at the, the Toto concert, but you guys uh, bolted from that show pretty quickly, and everybody was on the bus before I had a chance to – I saw Luke and oh, got to talk a, to him. That's a shame. That's <laughs> no, a shame. But uh, I did catch uh, Shannon, and I spoke to him for a second, and uh, and we were talking about the Michael McDonald record, and I wondered if, if you and, uh, if you and uh, Shannon have had a chance to talk about that, if you've heard any of it. I fortunately have have it, and it's it's fantastic. And as you know, uh, Shannon pretty much produced that record. And yes, enge- he did, and engineered it as well. And it's I'll have to say, you know, just as a precursor, uh, it, this is one of the better Michael McDonald albums I've ever heard. It's fantastic. I'm sorry to say I have not heard a note okay. of it. Okay. Um, this is, I I intend to sit to, when I listen to a, I want to listen to the whole record in its right. entirety, and I want to have the time to just give it that proper attention to sit there and. And, and I haven't had that time to do it, but I have talked to Shannon about the making of the record and, uh-huh. and his involvement. And um, you know, I I will probably leave that for you guys to interview him and get his perspective because it's some, I won't do that justice to to tell you what right. his experiences have been. <laughs> it is, it is, it, I, that that would be a great interview because he's I gotta say Shannon's just an amazing amazing guy. Yeah. Well, trust me, we've tried to get Shannon on the show about a half dozen times, and he always says, "Yeah, I want to do it. I'm, I want to do it, but I'm so busy right now." And and every time I, <laughs> every time I uh, send it, shoot him an email message, I don't hear from him for weeks, and all of a sudden an email will pop up. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll do that at some point. And <laughs> yeah, that's because that's because he and Lenny Castro are looking for the finest restaurant in town. To go <laughs> that's what the it biggest, is. They are the biggest foodies I have ever known. Seriously. <laughs> oh, they're, they're 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 great together. They're they're thick as thieves going to find food and the best best meal in town. Uh, God love them. Hopefully they've got a pretty nice per diem, you know. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they're uh, they're they're funny. They're funny, but, but that's that's where he's spending his time. So I'm gonna I'm okay. gonna have to pin him down for you. I'm gonna tell them about it. There you go. I just I just we just need an hour. <laughs> oh, tell tell him go. I'll buy his next his next meal. Yeah, <laughs> your food's got to digest sometime, man. So. Okay. <laughs> Well, hey, we've got a bunch of questions. We're going to dive into these questions that uh, from listeners, and we yep. posted a message on Facebook uh, yesterday, and um, and we've got quite a few. And the first question is from uh, and, I, and everybody who who is listening. If I if I butcher your name, please don't 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 shoot me because I don't know if I'm going to pronounce these correctly. But the first one is uh, from Simona Perone in Montreal, and uh, she wanted to know. How many rehearsals uh, you had with the guys prior to your first gig? And she also wants to know if you write your parts out or if you just simply memorize them. Right. Uh, answering the, the second question first, um, I rarely write anything out. Yeah. Um, I just turn the tape recorder called the brain on and memorize. <laughs> right. Um, we only had three full band rehearsals Whoa. leading up to the opening night. <laughs> but, you know, I came into those rehearsals 
as if, hey, if I had to do a gig tonight, I could get through it. Yeah, you know, yeah. the okay. rehearsals were just to fine tune some endings and and but I came in super prepared. You know, okay. I'm going into my first total rehearsals. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I'm prepared. You know, it wasn't gonna be you know anything in want of of preparation. Right. Um, so yeah, just just three for three rehearsals. We're gonna go down under to uh, Canberra, Australia, Australia. for. Uh, there's three questions from a longtime listener. His name is Scott Stevenson, and uh, his questions are: um, Do you want me to do these one at a time, or do you want me to throw them all out at once? Uh, you, you, however you see fit. Let's just do it one at a time. Yeah. What songs? He he wants to know what songs do you enjoy uh, playing in the set the most? The the one that I'm just loving playing right now in the set is Pamela. Okay. And I love the vocals. I think that's one of the greatest choruses ever written. Yeah, it just it, it just is. I love belting out the top harmony part there, and then Dave has a, a piano solo at the end. Yeah, and I just kind of walk over to his side of the stage, and and he's improvising and playing whatever comes to mind, and I'm I'm playing off of him, and you know, under the same structure of those same four chords in that phrase, he's still taking it outside and moving around. So I just love the the improvisational aspect of that moment in the show. Okay. And Dave, Dave never plays the same solo twice, so you've got to listen, and it's just it's just a great great time to play off each other. It's a real musical moment. I, I really enjoy that. Okay. Um, and other songs to just to uh, add to it. I love playing "Can't Stop Loving You." That's just fun. Yeah, That's okay. just a fun song. Great expectations is challenging, and you know, get to do our yes kind of thing. Right. Um, and uh, "Home of the Brave" is just a great rock tune. You can run around the stage and just. Play. That's just a real high energy moment in the show. Yeah. Love so playing that. So if I had to guess, the seventh one is maybe one of your favorite records. <laughs> <laughs> Here's how I answer that question: What you know? What's your favorite Toto album? I think their best record is the seventh one. My yeah. personal favorite is Isolation. Oh really? Wow. Yep. Okay. Very that's cool. my favorite record. Next question from Scott Stevenson is: uh, Is there a song that's currently not on the set that you would like to see the band play? <sighs> okay, I'm going to say this. I want to sing Isolation. I want to sing the Fergie oh, yeah, vocals that's Isolation. Cool. And that's, that's just a, that I don't think that'll ever be realized. But um, I, a song I'd love to play. I, I'd love to do some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, let me think. Wow, that's cool. The guys, the guys are talking about you know the list for next year's big 40th anniversary. And mm-hmm. they're, they're right. just on the bus at night. They're throwing just songs out there. And... Um, we're in love again is one that that uh, Joseph and I have talked about. You know, him singing and me singing the harmony above him. Yeah, that's that'd nice. Be, that'd be fun to do. And with Warren Ham on the sax, you've got the sax now, and so um, yeah, that's that, that's an open question because there's there's just so <laughs> many. That's I hate to, I hate to not answer it specifically, but there's just so many great songs. Yeah, you know, when when they brought you on, uh, one of the first thoughts I had was maybe they would do more from Isolation, you know, so you could hit those Fergie parts. I thought maybe they would, you know, l- yeah. let you let you run with one of those. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. There's so much they have to get to for the 40th. Um, right. I'm just sitting back saying, hey, if you need me, I'm here. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, with Toto, you're replacing, you know, two legendary bassists, of course, David Hungate and Mike Bercaro. And I'm just curious to know if you've ever worked with or met either of those guys in the past. I've never met David Hungate. I met Mike briefly uh-huh. at um, Eddie Fisher and Connie Stevens' home way back in the early 90s. 
I was actually playing a pri- the I was in the band that was hired to play that private party, and Mike was just a guest, uh-huh. and uh, just chatted with him briefly and said that I knew Steve, and and uh, it was real quick. Yeah. But no, I've never I've never really I never really knew those guys. Well, you know, sticking with Mike and David, uh, Inside Music Cast listener Ken Yip from Scotland has a question similar to the one I wanted to ask too, and it's that that being. You know, when you look at the charts and you study Mike and David's performances, is it is it important for you to emulate kind of how they approach those parts, or do you attack the parts the way that feels most comfortable to you? That's a great question. That's really a super question um, from a, from a bass player's perspective, and it's specifically to this gig. Um, I'll go outside the, the box a little bit to answer it, and then I'll come back. The, the thing that the band is really enjoying right now is Toto's feels like it's back to being a band again eight guys on stage all playing and singing together Uh, there's no there's no add-on musicians you know as as the as the needs were um eight guys like like has the original sound again Uh it does so so while i listen to the live records and listen to live performance of the the two most current bass players who are two of my favorites nathan east and lee scalar i really really made it a point to get back to the Mike Baccaro approach, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and just just case in point, um, uh, what's what's the song? I'm, I'm blanking. Um, I'll be over you. Right. Go back and listen to the studio recording of "I'll Be Over You." Listen to the bass. It's one of the most perfect, exe- perfectly executed bass tracks of all time. It's so simple, and how mm-hmm. sparse Mike plays. Right. It's not until the the end outro. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he takes it out and had, does some flowing lines. It's so simple. It's one of my favorite bass tracks of all time. And that's kind of how I'm approaching all this stuff is Mike Beccaro is the basis for everything. I'll throw in my own little things here and there, which Paige loves substitutions and those kind of things. And, but it's, it's really, as we are back to being a band again, I want to be... I want to approach it as the roots of that band and, and Mike and, and a lot of David Hungate's approach. That's the, I think that's the best way I can answer that. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was great. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you mentioned Lee Sklar and, of course, Nathan and, um, and even Mike. And we, we know that there's, from a technical perspective, bassist, uh, you know, there's, they have different approaches. And some use a pick and some don't. And, uh, and uh, we know that uh, Hungate used to use a pick, you know, when the part called for it. But it's our understanding that the band members were pretty pleased that you were pretty universal. How did, how did you use the pick sound? And when you didn't use a pick sound, what, why did they, explain how that works. When I did the audition mm-hmm. and after we played and, and, and uh, I could tell the guys were, were happy with what was going on, I forget which, maybe it was David Page who said, do you play with a pick? <laughs> and I said, I do. He goes, good, good, another good answer. <laughs> um, and again, like you mentioned, some of this music calls for that. Yeah. Um, like I, I, learning the set, we, I uh, practiced I'll Supply the Love, just playing it with fingers. And in rehearsals, Dave said, oh, why don't you play a pick on that? Because he said, I really want that, that, that end instrumental ending to really be real right. precise and real, mm-hmm. real percussive. And I said, sure. So, um, fortunately I, I could say, yes, I played with a pick, wow. uh, because, because, because Lee, Lee Scalar and Nathan 
um, don't, I believe. Yeah. And that, at least that's what they told me. Right, so they're right. they're liking having the pick that more percussive thing when when it works. I give you an example on, on uh, Great Expectations, the first half of the song, and for the verses I play with a pick. When it goes to Steve Lukather's guitar solo, that right. slow section, right. I go to fingers. Okay. I put I put the pick down and go to fingers. Yeah. And uh, play the instrumental section. The little keyboard duel between Paige and Steve P. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go to I'm on fingers for that, but when it goes to the end of the song again, I pick up the pick. Okay. So it's really what what the what the bass dynamics require. I think it's interesting. You you had me thinking about something uh, you said a second ago, um, and that you know bringing you and and Warren Ham into the band, um, that it kind of gets back to the sound of closer to the original sound that they've had when they're on stage, you know, cause they've had some female backing vocalists and some other backing vocalists in the past. But the, uh, one of the, th- one, you know, I went up to that show in Chicago and I sent, I didn't get to see Steve Picaro that night. So I shot him an email and said, Hey, I'm sorry, I missed you. And he, his first question was, he goes, how did we sound? He goes, do you think we sound more like the original band? And I, and I said, yeah, absolutely. And it was, it was something I was paying attention to that night because I think, you know, vocally, mm-hmm. You know, with Shannon's playing and, and what you're doing uh, with mm-hmm. the bass, and then, and then of course, you know, the vocals that you're providing, it's all guys now. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's right. it sounds great. It does. It really has the closest to the original feel that I've felt. You know, and I've been you know going to Toto concerts for 25 years or so, and and it's yeah, it sounds great. Hey, Sham, I've got a question. You guys are just, you're in Finland right now, and uh, you're on your day off. But uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, the response. I mean, do you get any feedback from people that you might have been talking to about the same feel that what, you know, the audiences are, are hearing right now? What, what, are you, what are you hearing back? Rick, what you were just saying before about, uh, about what you thought when you saw the show, everyone is saying the same thing right now. Mm-hmm. That Toto, Toto feels like a band again with guys singing the backup vocals. And, yeah. it, you know, with Shannon really being, just being able to get so channeling Jeff Picaro so, yeah. so amazingly. And like I said, I'm attempting to approach it more like Mike. Mm-hmm. We're just, just by nature of, of that approach, we're, yeah. we're, I think people, everyone is saying that they're hearing the original Toto vibe yeah. again. Yeah. So, cool. which is a huge compliment. And, and I have to say the guys, the core four are really happy about it. Yeah. Well, we've got another uh, listener question. This one from Janine Carney, who is in New Hampshire. And she said, uh, she had the pleasure of cooking for you <laughs> and the other Toto members when you performed at a venue there in June. And, and she has kind of a unique question. I don't think we've ever asked a guest in the past, but he, but she says her question is is how do you deal with the time zone jumping regarding meals on the road and you know what's your go to food that keeps you going? <laughs> That's, great. That's great. That's great. I, I, I don't know if if there's a go to food. That maybe is a question for uh, the two foodies there, Shannon and Lenny. Yeah, uh, really. <laughs> uh, I think I think I know who asked that. Uh, who asked that question? And th- was it Tupelo? Was it maybe the Tupelo? Uh, Casino there. They, she, yeah. There, the, there were the food was excellent. By the way, <laughs> love that food. But you know, it's it's the, the road is just survival. You kind of yeah. have to take what what's there. Uh, there's always pretty decent catering and provided for dinner. Um, we just kind of you kind of do our own thing when it comes to food. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> the, the human being will find a way to survive. It's 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 manageable. 
<laughs> well, here's another interesting question that borderlines food. And this is a question from, and I, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing the name incorrectly, but it's Sari Tamanen mm -hmm. in Finland. And he said, when you played a gig there just a few days ago, there were apparently bugs all over the stage. <laughs> and he said he's curious to know how many of them you ate. <laughs> Oh, well, I told the guys after the show, I said, we've definitely had our protein intake for the tour. <laughs> my gosh. It, I think uh, John Gosnell, who is uh, Luke's guitar tech, uh -huh. uh, he's also a fly fisherman. And he said, you know, and we, we were performing right by a, a, a lake. And he said, I think there was a hatching that happened. Uh, he must was have been. Totally serious. God. And they were drawn into the lights. And oh, yeah. The, the whatever was going on, we were, it was a swarm. I I, I jumped up on the on Steve Carell's riser and I said, "Lovely weather we're having," because it just looked like we were in a snowstorm. It was just wow, and just a swarm of bugs. I'm not exactly sure what kind of flies they were, but boy, <laughs> you you, you were have, we were having a hard time. <laughs> wow, interesting. When I went to play my solo on 99, yeah, uh, the bugs were all over my frets that I couldn't tell what were the fret markers and what weren't. So <laughs> Are I, you I, played, I played a couple of clams during that solo for the uh, for that Tomasari show, but it was because I'm going, well, I can't see the neck of my bass. They're just clinging to the strings, and I'm like, is that oh. the fret marker? Is that the? Oh, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I've got uh, a question so, for you because on, on the very end of uh, of that track. Uh, you segue, you hit, you, you, the last note that you hit, uh, it was -da 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 -da, and then you hit one note, and Dave comes in with his instrumental. Of course, Luke switches over to the acoustic guitar. Correct. Um, how, how did that work a little bit? You know, because that was a really cool transition. Uh, because what's the name of their, their tune? I had never heard that instrumental before. Had you, Rick? That's The Muse, isn't it? The Muse? Correct. You're that's The Muse, yes. Yeah, so it's just yeah. an instrumental piece that Dave wrote. It's actually on yeah. the uh, 35th Poland anniversary yeah. concert right. CD. Wow, that's uh, neat. That was really cool. But it, yeah, and you mentioned that note, the last note that yep. I play. is is not normally the last note in the solo. It's right. a minor chord that Dave goes to, and we modulate. Right. So I'm having to play the minor third as opposed to what would, what have, would have been the major third if I'm approaching it you know, from yeah. that, that place. Yeah, because you're walking up and down, up and down, and that last note, boom, sets it right there for Dave to hit the chord to the beginning of the muse. Yeah, that's a that's a really nice nice segue. That's I, a nice I, touch. One, it's one of my favorite moments of the show. I yeah. really enjoy that. That's very cool. And Dave just writes this great stuff. I mean, he's, he there's there's an incredibly humble man. I can't say it enough how much I adore that man. Yeah, he's just he's just the best. He's just the sweetest sweetest guy. It makes me it makes me tear up just thinking <laughs> about him. He's just like he's like the uncle, you know, a great uncle, a friend. You yeah. know, he is a sweet guy. Matthias Litsky from Germany has a couple of questions, and I think you might have alluded to this just a little a little before, but he says, are you joining the, joining the TOTO's um, world tour in 18 and 19 next year? That's a yes. If, if they'll have me, I'll be there. Awesome. Good, good, good. Next question. Would you like to play a bass from Music Man guitars? I have one. I, I'm a very, very fond of, of Music Man, um, the Stingray basses. I, I have one. Um, but on this I, on this tour, I just find that the classic Fender sound is the way to go. Um, I, the basses I'm using right now, I'm using a Nash uh, five-string, Relic five-string. It's a 35-inch scale bass. It's amazing. Um, and I'm using a Sire Marcus Miller V7 model Very cool. as, okay. as the, the other one. Yeah. Are you uh, – another last question from Matthias Litschke from Germany. Are you uh, planning to do any bass clinics or demos in the near future, 
You know, I, <laughs> I, and I don't take this as an insult, but I've never been asked to do a base clinic. Really? Oh, yeah? Yeah. I've, it's something I've never been approached about. And, you know, and if, if, if the opportunity comes down the road, perhaps I will. Um, but at the moment, I have no plans to do so. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got another question from, this one's from Emmanuel Guzman Zuniga. Did I pronounce that right, Eddie? Zuniga. Zuniga. Okay. There you go. <laughs> from Mexico. Uh, he would love to know about your amps that you're using and what advice uh, would uh, you give to a bass player who tries to sing? He said he used to sing, but he found it difficult to focus on both singing and playing at the same time. And uh, what, is your, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, quickly to answer the first question, the, I use uh, Galen Kruger. Uh, heads and mm -hmm. cabinets. Okay, I'm playing through the R RB1001 uh, head, and okay. just for this tour, I'm just using the the 15 inch cabinet. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. I've been with GK since the early 2000s, and I I love them. Uh, I won't I won't I won't play anything else. Um, playing and singing. The best advice I can give is don't think about it. Yeah, exactly. If you think if you think about <laughs> hey, this is really hard, and you know you will never be able to coordinate it. You have to. I always say you have to use the force, yeah. you know, use George. Just don't think about it. Let it yeah. go. And the parts, will, they'll just start to happen. If you're thinking about one, you're, it's going to affect the others. So just, yeah. just let it go and let it happen. The, the voice will do what it needs to do and the fingers will go where they need to go. Just, just let go and it'll happen. Interesting. I've got another technical question. You've obviously you're a, a bassist, you know, in, of of the best caliber. But four four string jazz based, five string, six string. How have you used those in the past, and what are you using right now on most of this tour? I've been using a five string bass, okay. uh, pretty much exclusively in live performance since I would say. The late '80s. Really? I've been playing. Yeah, I've been playing five-string bass for a long time. Um, I have a six-string bass. I have I have uh, several four-strings, but for my playing and how I like to approach things, uh, a five-string bass is just what feels feels happy, yeah, okay. <laughs> happy and comfortable. It just feels like home mm -hmm. playing bass, five-string. Yeah. Hey, and, and Emmanuel uh, from Mexico also had one more quick question. He said he knows you're a Yes fan, and he wanted to know your favorite tune from Close to the Edge. <laughs> okay, that's th there's two answers. Off the record, if I'm listening to the 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 studio record, yeah. uh, I love I just love the whole record. But uh, Siberia Catru, I love that song. Yeah, that that was life changing to me when I heard that. I think I was seven when I heard that, mm -hmm. and that was that was great. But but when you listen to Yes, songs the live album. I think, and you and I. That's their best, one of their best performances on that yeah. record. So on that record, I because they they perform the entire album on Yes songs. I love the way and you and I was was played that night. Mm -hmm. Pretty great. A couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to interview John Anderson for Inside Music Cast, and that was a thrill of a. I heard, I heard that. Yes, <laughs> that was such that. a thrill for me. <laughs> but anyway, hey, uh, one more. Uh, got a couple more questions, and we're, we're almost finished up here. One is from this next one's from Sandy Folkman and, uh, from Utah, and she wants to know uh, what your best experience has been so far from being on the road with Toto, or has anything from the road surprised you so far? The best experience has just been my growing relationship with these guys yeah these these guys who are heroes of mine since i've been 13 and now to develop these friendships and to have them welcome welcome me so warmly and lovingly uh the the show is great every night it's a it's a joy to play this music and an, an honor to be challenged musically every night and and that whole thing but 
I'm loving these guys. I'm loving these people, getting to know them as men. And um, it's I'm I'm so thankful and grateful that that they've given me this chance, and I'm I'm making great new friends. Mm-hmm. They're they're just there's beautiful human beings. They are, you know, and and I've from a fan's perspective, um, you know, and Eddie and our fans, we've gotten to know the guys. We've all had had them all on the show, and we usually connect and say hi to each other when we're at the shows. But you know, they're they're probably, you know, we've we've gotten to know a lot of musicians, and I don't yeah. know any any collective band that's just as open and warm as these guys are. You think about it, they, you know, <laughs> Steve Lukather with his funny personality, he's got this crazy zany way about him. You yeah. you can't find a bigger heart on the planet. No, mm-hmm. no. and he's just 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 you know is is you know as as funny and and silly as he can be. He's just he's just a, got a huge beautiful heart and. Paige is the nicest, most decent man I've ever known. I, Steve Picaro is dear. Joseph is uh, – all Joseph and I do is just laugh. We just laugh, <laughs> you know. And and I have to say, you know, you know, if we were talking about some of my heroes, John Williams has yeah. always been my – I think my favorite living musician yeah. of, all, of all time. And um, just to just to have great chats with Joseph about his dad, and yeah. I've been learning about what a deep musician he is. Guys like that come around once every hundred years. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm convinced, and I'm getting to know more about John that I didn't know about his musicianship. You know, because we we love the scores and the soundtracks that, right. we, that from all those beloved films, but I'm learning more about his musicianship. It's just mind blowing how mm-hmm. deep a musician he is. So, mm-hmm. just wanted to throw that in. That's cool. Hey, 16 years ago, you released a solo album. In fact, we talked about it at, in our last interview. Was uh, It was entitled Son of Arthur. And uh, we discussed that. And, and uh, Frank Van Wyck uh, from the Netherlands uh, said he loved that album and wanted to know uh, if you have any plans in the near future. I mean, do you see that? Another solo project coming your way? It's possible. Yeah. It's very possible. Um, my, my whole thing from now until... I'm I'm not able to make music anymore. It's just I just want to be creative. Yeah. Uh, if it's filmmaking, if it's writing a novel, just just be creative. So yeah. it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. I I may I, probably what will happen first is more Apex material. Yeah. Uh, but um, I've actually got some got some songs that I would record as a solo artist to actually put them on a, a complete you know ten song album. Perhaps not, but maybe release a yeah. song here or there as yeah. a solo artist. That's very possible. Yeah, it just seems to be a very timing and appropriate question because you know, you know, I can just imagine right now the inspiration that you're just getting just from these guys alone, and as a musician, <laughs> yeah. as a composer, as a music builder yourself, um, I I can't see anything how you cannot be inspired from these guys and this music to say, holy cow, it just gives you ideas up, you know, on endless ideas. It, it's true. It's it's so true. And it's like I said, I'm having these discussions with David Page every night, talking about orchestras and orchestral yeah. stuff and soundtracks. It just makes you want to just go home and and write. Yeah. You know? Well, it sounds as if you're having a, a ball and, and having a lot of fun with these guys right now. It's it's great. I'm I'm thrilled, and uh, it's it's very humbling, and and. Just, I'm the luckiest guy in the world right now. <laughs> we'll pass along uh, our, our, our hello to uh, all the guys. And yep. uh, if you see Shannon, tell him to give us a digestion hour sometime in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell him that as soon as I see him. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Because I think it's a great material. I mean, you guys need to talk to him about this this project, and he's the yeah. guy to talk to. There's so much to talk to with him, and, and we'll, we'll get him at some point, I hope. And, yeah, uh, I'm sure we will. But, uh, hey, Shem, thanks so much for giving us your time. Thank and, you. And Thank I know you. it's uh, dinner time over there, and you're probably ready to go have some food. And yeah. we, we worry you out pretty sufficiently, I think. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. Pleasure for all mine, seriously. Well, well it's, it's obviously not, not going to take another 10 years before we connect again, but it's been a it's been, it's been been a hoot. Thank you so much, man. We, we loved every minute of it. My absolute pleasure, guys. Be well. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Shem Von Schreck for joining us on this episode of Inside MusicCast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Brian Pearson, Kim Riley, Scott Gross, Mikhail Ingstrom, Loretta Sassaman, Scott Sheriff, Don Brightup, Yinka Oyelese, and Arnaud Legere for their support and content development. Inside MusicCast is powered by Earshot Audio Post and Cabello Associates. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside MusicCast. Cast.